It's time now for North Star Sports, your source for the hottest sports takes in the business. Here's your host, Owen Ely. Hello, everyone, and welcome to North Star Sports. I'm your host, Owen Ely. You can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. You also can follow North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star MIN. Be sure to check out our website at NorthStarsports.media. And welcome to the show, everyone. we got a great one for you today here on this Friday, September 4th, 2020, as we get set to preview UFC Fight Night Overeem versus Sakai. Uh, just a couple of quick uh, housekeeping notes here. Uh, hopefully, we'll have the main card showdown on a podcast either today or tomorrow. Um, no guarantees. I feel like it's been probably a month since we've done that Um in podcast form, it will for sure happen in, in some form or another. Um, it'll definitely happen on Twitter, um, which is why you got to follow North Star Sports on Twitter. Um, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully the the schedules will work together. Um, hey, even it might it might even be right before um, the card starts. We might do it, you know, Saturday afternoon. Might be a shotgun start. Um, so you know, we'll, we'll figure that out. But you know, the mailman's getting his belt back no matter what. You know, and he's gonna keep adding to the the all-time wins total, and um, you know what I mean. I feel I feel good about this card in 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 many ways. You know, even though I'm the challenger coming into this one, you know what I mean. The 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 fireman, you know, he's he's a schlub when it comes to making picks. You know what I mean. I'm not I'm not concerned. I'm not concerned about you know what the fireman's gonna bring to the table. You know, I just gotta I gotta focus on myself. I gotta focus on myself. Uh, you know, I gotta block out the noise, block out the haters, because God knows there's many a people who don't like the mailman uh, because he is the one who delivers. Um, you know, there's gonna be haters in anything you do in life, and uh, you know, I think it, a lot of it's jealousy because a lot of people can't deliver. You know, with the frequency and the the impact that the mailman can deliver. So I'm not worried about it. Um, we also kind of got back on the. Uh, the pick train uh, with our our last event going eight and two um, that was much needed I think we're we're probably sitting around I mean I like I always say I can pull up the website or you could check out the website I mean that would be awesome I mean it's a fantastic website uh, you also could check out uh, the last show we did I believe on Monday so it's been a little bit I apologize been a little busy um, so I haven't been doing the shows with, uh, the, the frequency I'd, I'd like to. Um, but the last episode was a big one. How'd you like that? Reagan Hooverman on the show as we previewed, uh, the Green Bay Packers, uh, 2020 season. Um, went 81 minutes, a lot longer than I expected, but that was fun as hell. You know, there's a, there's a reason why Reagan Hooverman is, is in the halls of, of North Hall, uh, you know, as a Hall of Famer for WRFW and obviously, you know, an inaugural ballot Hall of Famer for North Star Sports. So, you know, this guy's a legend. Shout out to him for coming on the show. That was, uh, that was fun. Um, but you got to check that out and we're going to plug the fuck out of that as the NFL season, uh, comes closer and closer to starting, um, especially on Twitter. So uh, it was trending pretty good. It was trending to be one of our, if not our, our best episode we've, we've done, um, numbers wise and, and probably, um, quality-wise as well for something that neither of us really prepped for. A lot of it was just kind of uh, off the dome. Um, but yeah, uh, we're, we're back on track here with the picks. Like I've been saying, 
I mean, we had three out of four performances where we were below 500. I mean, that's just really fucking bad. Uh, I don't do good with these quarantine cards. Uh, whenever it's just, whenever it's just a card that they put on because they're contractually obligated to put on cards and contractually obligated to put on fights, um, I tend not to do super great at those. Uh, you look at when it matters the most, the big-time performances, that's where I shine with my picks. UFC 250, we went 9-3, and three, big pay-per-view. UFC 251, Usman vs. Masvidal, we went 11-2. and two. You know what I mean? So, we fucking deliver when it comes to cards that matter, specifically pay-per-views. I mean, Whitaker vs. Till, we went 10-5, and five, which, you know, it's not, probably not groundbreaking, but, you know, 66%, that's not bad at all. Figueredo versus Benavidez 2. Flyweight championship on the line, 9-3. and three. Uh, I mean, we just, we fucking kill it when it matters. Um, but when it doesn't matter, like uh, UFC Fight Night Brunson versus Shabazian, well, we go 3-5. and five. We go 3-5 and five because the stakes are not there. The stakes are not there, so it's not, you know, not really an incentive for us to, to do well. Um, but, you know, we're, we're back on the horse here. Um, so with that, we'll get right into uh, the the preview of uh, Overeem and Sakai. I gotta say, just at the uh, at the at the start of the conversation here, um, not the best card I've ever seen. Definitely not the best card I've ever seen. Um, there are some fights that, I mean, like I like I always say, just my disclaimer before I start shitting on a, on, on a card. But you know, just because they're they're fighters you don't know doesn't mean it's not going to be a good fight. I understand that. Um, that being said, that you know this this is probably not the most high profile card they're ever going to put on. Um, there are some fights that I look at and I go, yeah, I mean, I know for sure that these are going to, if not deliver, they'll they'll at least be interesting one way or another. Um, but I got I, I'm going to reserve my hatred for UFC matchmaking until next week's card because uh, next week next week's card is going to be really bad. It might even historic be historically bad. Um, but, but we'll see. I've said that a couple of times, um, you know, saying that it's, it, it's a potential that this fight card could be historically bad. Um, most of the time it doesn't happen because most of the time it's pretty hard to be historically bad. Um, but, uh, next week's fight night, Watterson versus Hill. That one might take the fucking cake. That one looks really bad. I'm just going to read to you the main card on this one. And this is the main card as it stands right now. So imagine what it'll look like a week from now. Because we know, you know, all, how often it is that these, you know, especially the last, like, month, it feels like, how often it is that these fights will be canceled just due to COVID or some general bullshit. Um, not that COVID's general bullshit. I mean, oh, I mean, I guess it is because, you know, it's something people got to deal with. But um, the main event is Michelle Watterson and Angela Hill. Uh, Angela Hill is uh, a below 500 fighter in the UFC. Uh, I think I saw, <clears throat> I think I saw on Twitter that if you combine Michelle Watterson and Angela Hill's UFC records together, it's 12 and 12. So you know, just completely average, completely average in nearly every sense of the of the the word. Um, straw weights in the main event. The co-main event is Angela Lee and Roxanne Modafferi. So I mean. Jesus, that could be a prelim opener. Uh, Alan Patrick and Bobby Green. Okay, I mean, I like Bobby Green, but uh, again, I'm not going to speak glowingly about this on, you know, the, the featured bout of a, of a card. 
Then, still on the main card here, Ed Herman and Mike Rodriguez. Not even remotely interested in this fight at all. And then Julia Avila and Sajara Eubanks, Eubanks, which... I think I'm going to have to double check because I think they put this fight down for this week's card and then they moved it back. Um, so I don't really know. Either way, that's an awful fight anyway. Um, and then, Jesus, uh, like the prelims, Matt Schnell and Tyson Nam, Frank Camacho and Brock Weaver, two guys who should be cut from the UFC, Billy Quarantillo and Kyle Nelson, Brian Barbarena and Anthony Ivey, Roosevelt Roberts and Matt Frivola. That one's a little interesting. Uh, Sabina Mazo and Justine Kish couldn't care less. Actually, honestly, the best fight on the entire card is the prelim opener, which should tell you how pathetic this card is, although this is a legitimately good fight. Um, Kama Worthy and Atman uh, Azatar, that is a... I would honestly rather have Worthy and Azatar be the the main event than what it currently is. Uh, That fight is the most interesting fight on the entire card, because Kama Worthy, you know off of the uh, knockout upset of the fucking year of Devonta Smith, and then, you know, puts a beating on Pena, finishes him. Uh, Azatar, you know, he's got a big Middle Eastern following. I think he's from Turkey or Morocco or something like that. Um, and he's he's undefeated, uh, a pretty legitimate undefeated prospect there in the, in the lightweight division. So that's probably the most interesting fight. Um, in fairness, uh, you know, if Tiago Santos and Glover Teixeira was the main event for that card, it's still garbage. It's still a very garbage card, but at least that's a main event I could get behind. That is a legitimately solid, um, you know, fight night main event. Um, but the way it stands right now, and again, this is eight days before the fight, so who fucking knows? Like, Michelle Watterson, you know, God bless, could test for COVID. It could happen to... You know, it could, it could happen to any of these people. So imagine, you know, if the main event falls out on this, like, holy shit, like, we're just, like, one pebble tripping away from having Andrea Lee and Roxanne Modafferi main eventing a fucking card. So, like, ah, I'm, I, again, I'll, I'll get very negative on that card, so I'm going to try to look at the positives with uh, the card that we're currently on, uh, just because... Yeah, I'm I'm gonna save my negativity for for the next the next fight card. Um, so we'll start off here on the uh, the prelims, the prelim opener here um, in the bantamweight division. It's seven and one Cole Smith taking on eight and one Hunter Azure. Um, the odds here, all the odds uh, for the, for this fight card are gonna come from uh, Bovada. Um, Hunter Azure is the minus two forty favorite. Um, I don't know. This one's interesting because they're both kind of at similar similar points in their career. Um, you know, obviously so very similar records. Hunter Azure, this was the guy who came off of the Contender Series. Um, he he got his first win over Brad Katona, who's another Contender Series guy. Um, then he ran into Brian Kelleher, who's also on this card, who we'll, who we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, and uh, that did not go so good. So really, a not great performance by Hunter Azure. Um, in in his last fight versus Kelleher. Um, That was on the first string of uh, three fights when the UFC came back in Jacksonville. Um, I forget which which one it was. I want to say it was the Wednesday night card, but I I could be wrong on that. Um, 
and a very similar um, thing here for Cole for Cole Smith, um, a guy who came into the UFC, wins his UFC debut, but loses his sophomore effort. So he got the win over uh, Mitch Gagnon. Uh, I'm sure I'm fucking butchering that. That also was on uh, the the first string of fights back in Jacksonville, and then loses a split decision to Miles John. Um, so again, I outside of record and, and things like that, I obviously have not been watching tape on either of these two fighters, so I'm going to go with the odds. I'm going to go with Hunter Azure on this one. Um, probably more highly touted, but again, you know, I'm not going to sit here. I'll never sit here and pretend that I know shit about shit I don't know, and I don't know a whole lot about some of these some of these prelim ones, but I'll, I'll try my best because, again, you know, my pick record is on the line here, um, so there is incentive for me to not just roll through these picks um, blindly, so... Uh, we'll go Hunter Azure, and I, I suppose we'll go by decision because, you know, I haven't seen a tremendous amount of finishing ability from either of these fighters in the, the brief moments I've seen them fight. Uh, moving on here, uh, we have a heavyweight fight here between Marcos Hagerio de Lima and Alexander Romanov. Uh, Hagerio de Lima is 17-6-1. Romanov is 11-0. Uh, the odds for this one have Romanov as the minus 140 favorite. Uh, this is a tough one to pick because this is this is a story that we see often. We've seen this before, um, and I was wise to it the last time something like this kind of happened. Um, I want to say about a month. Maybe man, time is flying. Might have even been, might have even been uh, two months ago. But where you where you look at a it was the Maxim Grishin and fuck, who's that Polish guy? Oh, Marcin Tabura. It was a Tabura and Grishin fight where you look at Grishin and holy shit, he's won 23 of his last 24. Wow, this guy is on such a streak. And you look at Tabura, and yeah, he's a UFC veteran, but you know he's a guy who's dropped quite a few in his last handful of fights. And you go, well, momentum's going to tell me that Grishin's going to win this. Momentum's going to tell me that Romanov is going to win this fight. He's 11-0. and He's never lost. Um, and then uh, Chibura goes out there and, and, you know, beats Grishin because, you know, I could have told you this before, but obviously, you know, it rained true. But, you know, Grishin uh, beat up absolutely nobody. I mean, he was fighting in, like, the PFL and, like, you know, a beer league in Russia. So the, the impressive win streak was actually really not that impressive. So it's a little tough here because uh, I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody is high on, uh, Hagerio de Lima, um, you know, he's, he's been here for, um, nearing seven years at this point, um, kind of flip-flopping wins and, and losses, and, uh, you know, you look at Romanov, I mean, I remember when they signed this guy, I mean, he, he seems like a legit, um, uh, a pretty legit heavyweight prospect, um, although not really fighting at the at the highest at the highest level there, Eagles Fighting Championship. Most of his fights have have came in that organization. Um, I don't know. This is tough. It's all <clears throat> excuse me. It's all about context. It's all about what's happening right now. And I'm gonna flip the script. Everything I said. I'm gonna go with Romanov. Uh, you know, picking the UFC veteran worked for me last time, but. I don't know. I feel like there's a difference between the skill set of Chibura and the the wins that he has, and 
uh, you know, the wins that uh, DeLima has. So, uh, you know, I'm going to side with the young prospect on this one, and we're going to go with Alexander Romanov to get the victory here. Uh, moving on here, uh, still on the prelims, we have a women's flyweight bout here between Montana De La Rosa, who is 11-5, and five, and the 8-2 and two Viviani Arujao. Uh, we consult the Bovada odds here. Uh, Arujao is the minus 190 favorite. Um, let me take a second here to pull up the North Star Sports rankings because uh, I know for sure Arujao is ranked. I'm not sure if De La Rosa is ranked, although I feel like she is. Uh, of course, these rankings are available for anybody at northstarsports.media forward slash rankings. Um... Yeah, so we have Viviani Arugia here at number eight. Uh, we do not have Montana De La Rosa in the rankings, um, which I think might, I think might be controversial. So let me pull up the UFC rankings, even though the UFC rankings are complete dog shit, um, because I think they have De La Rosa actually ranked pretty high, if I remember, because I think that's probably the biggest discrepancy we have in in all of the the women's divisions is that we don't have De La Rosa ranked. Um, taking a look here yeah they have montana de la rosa as the number 11 flyweight and we don't even have de la rosa ranked um obviously i think we're correct because you know we why else would we have it that way um but either way even even with de la rosa not ranked okay she comes out here and beats arujao she's gonna be in the top 10 if you beat it you know if you're anybody if you're anybody it doesn't even matter if you're on a three fight losing streak if you're anybody i mean Look at Chris Weidman. I think Chris Weidman's like number nine in our middleweight division. Why? Because he came in there and beat the number nine guy in, in Omari Akhmedov. I really believe in, you know, if you beat this person, you take their spot. I really believe. Now, again, the rankings, in my opinion, are so amorphous and contextual, and there's a million different things, which is why we don't have hard and fast rules. But I'd say probably the biggest pattern we tend to um, recognize is that if you beat the man, you are the man. If you are, if you're the number fourteen bantamweight, and you beat the number eight bantamweight, why would we, why would we put you at number ten? You beat the number eight guy. In my mind, again and again, I, I hate getting locked into specific rules. And if this happens, you always have to do it. But I'd say ninety five percent of the time. Yeah, you're gonna take that person's ranking. So, you know, for any for any uh, Montana De La Rosa fans out there, don't worry because if she wins, I mean, she's the number eight women's flyweight. I think that's really how things um, should work. Um, let's see here, going back to the uh, correct page here again. Never buy an HP computer. Just complete complete dog shit. I am a major major disrespecter of HP. I don't like their I don't like their computers at all. Um, when it comes to the actual X's and O's for this one, I, I really don't have a lot. I've seen uh, De La Rosa fight a few times, um, and she is a pretty active fighter, but I've never really... It's probably not a good thing, uh, but she's just a nondescript fighter in my mind. I've never really taken anything away um, from her performances. Um, she does have a finish over Nadia Kasim, which I don't think is... Uh, that impressive. Um, I'd, ha I'd have a, a little more to say about Arujao, who, I guess, spoiler alert, I'm going to pick Arujao to win uh, this fight. Um, I'm a little more impressed with her. 
Um, I believe it was her UFC debut. Yeah, where she came in and beat uh, Talita Bernardo and knocked her out um, pretty viciously. Uh, so Arusha has has a little bit of power, and that's exciting to see at 125 because, um, I mean, I suppose like Connor says, I mean, accuracy and precision, you know, will will beat. Actually, I just fucking butchered that. I totally forgot what he said verbatim. But obviously, you know, accuracy, accuracy and precision, um, a lot of times will beat power. I think was the gist of what he was going for. Um, I'm only one cup of coffee deep here. I'm, I need to be two, um, in in all um, honesty. Um, but I do think Arujo has, has raw power and that's not something you can say for a lot of, uh, women's, uh, MMA fighters just because you're, you're fighting at, you know, 115, 125, 135. Uh, it's pretty rare that you're going to generate that type of power. Um, but I, I think she is someone who, who does have that type of power. Um, you know, has the win over Alexis Davis and then the loss over Jessica I. Um, that might have been a little bit too much, a little too soon. But in fairness, I mean, if Arusha would have beaten Jessica I back in December of 2019, fuck, I don't know. Maybe she would have been fighting for the the title. I have no idea. Um, but but I, I I like the the long term prospects of Arusha even though she's a little bit a little bit older at 33. Um, but she's already in the top 10, so you know it, it wouldn't be crazy to think that in a division like 125. That I mean, listen, she's not going to get a title shot off of beating Montana De La Rosa. Although, according to the UFC, a win over De La Rosa means more than a win in North Star's book because De La Rosa is ranked nearly in the top 10, and we don't rank her. Um, but she's probably two wins away, probably two wins away. So, you know, you beat De La Rosa. I don't know, maybe you fight, maybe you get the rematch with Jessica I. That actually might be a little interesting, although... I mean, at number five, I don't know if that guarantees you a title shot either, but maybe you fight like a Lauren Murphy or uh, a Chukagian. I mean, she's trying to stay active, so if you get a quick finish here, you know, maybe maybe that's something you could do in December or something like that. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of options for the winner of this fight, regardless of who wins it, but obviously I'm going to go with uh, Viviani Arujao. And even though she has power, uh, the numbers will tell you um, that most women's uh, MMA fights are going to go to a decision, so um, we're going to go with Arujo by decision. Not that it matters, because the only thing that matters for the prelims are our picks, not the methods. All right, here, moving on. Uh, on the prelim main event. Prelim main there we go, I got it. I mean, I kind of stumbled through it, but I got it. Normally, that one, that one trips me up a little bit, but the prelim main event. So, um, only a four-fight prelim, because uh, I think we only have nine fights on this card. Oh, excuse me, ten fights on this card, and they have six on the main card. Although, honestly, I think Sajari Eubanks and Carol Hosa, I could have swore, the topology lists that for both for both uh, fights. I don't think that's actually the case. Um, so I'm going to have to do some, some research here. Not that that's a fight I'm super excited about, but obviously when I'm making picks, I don't want to um, oh, okay, so Tapology just hasn't updated it, so uh, we will scratch Eubanks and Hosa, so that makes sense. That's right, I saw that earlier, Eubanks and uh, Julia Avila are going to be fighting on uh, next Saturday's card. Um, yeah, regardless here, so back, back to the main event of the prelims. So we have uh, Bartos Fabinski, the Butcher, 15-3, and three, taking on 
Andre Muniz, uh, who's 19 and four here in the middleweight division. Uh, we consult the Bovada rankings. Fabinski is the minus 165 favorite. Um, let's see here. Let's see here. Um, excuse me. So Fabinski, this is a guy who uh, probably not a lot of people know about because uh, not exactly a high-profile UFC fighter. But this was the guy he was supposed to fight on that UFC London card. Um, it was supposed to be the card headlined by Woodley and Edwards. And obviously he's a European fighter. He's, he's from Warsaw, Poland. And I don't know how this worked with the UFC. I guess they just ripped up their contract or just let him, you know, have a fight outside of the, the organization. But he fought... Fuck, who did he fight? Did he fight Darren Stewart in Cage Warriors? Yep, Darren Stewart. Okay, so, uh, yeah, because I, I watched that because that was, uh, you know, when no fights were happening. Uh, you know, this was March 20th of, of this year, and Cage Warriors was putting on their card. Um, so the UFC, I guess, just allowed them to have a fight. Two UFC fighters, because Darren Stewart's also a UFC fighter. Um, and I remember watching that fight, and that was a good fight. That was a, a super fucking bloody fight between Fabinski and Stewart. I think it was Fabinski who had a... he, For lack of a better term, he just grew a vagina on the side of his head. Like, he... It was a really bad cut. It was a really bad cut on the side of his head. Um, but it was a really good fight. Super fucking bloody. Super bloody. Uh, that was Cage Warriors 113. That was interesting. Um, the rest of the cards, the, the rest of the fights on that card, um, not super impressive. Not super impressive. Um, but I believe I believe that was weird because I think they put that as the post-limb fight because they had a main event that was a championship and then that was the one after that. Um, but that's pretty much all I know about Bartos uh, Fabinski uh, is that he can take a fucking beating and get his head ripped open um, and continue moving forward. Uh, Muniz, I've, I've heard his name, um, around the UFC circle, so this guy is 30 years old, uh, six foot one. he's on, he's on a pretty impressive winning streak, he's got, he's got a five-fight winning streak going into this one, came off of the Contender Series, um, he got the win the first time around for, uh, the, the, the 2018, um, set of events, I believe that was the one that was, uh, in Brazil, and then came back and got the finish over Taylor Johnston, uh, came back and beat another contender series guy in his UFC debut, um, Antonio Arroyo. Um, so this is probably a step up in competition for uh, Muniz. Don't have a whole lot to say about either of these fighters, but so we'll go uh, Bartos Fabinski by round three TKO. You know, we'll say it's a finish. We're not just going to go by decision and give a boring answer. We're going to go by a round three TKO. All right, moving on here now to the main card. It's Tiago Moises taking on Jalen Turner in the lightweight division. Moises comes in at 13-4, and four, Turner uh, at 9-5. and five. Uh, The odds for this one have Turner uh, as the... Excuse me, Moises as the minus 165 favorite. Uh, this fight doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I believe this is what they intended for, uh, as I, I don't see any other canceled bouts... Um, on here doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. So, um, just at the start of the the prediction here, I'm gonna go with uh, Moises to win this one. 
Um, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Now, I don't know. I guess there's a wide spectrum of opinions on Michael Johnson. Um, so whatever, whatever you want to say about Michael Johnson, he is a tough, he is a very tough fighter. His record is obviously not super impressive. Um, but he has been pretty highly ranked in the past. Now, Moises, this is a guy who's 25, but he's been in the UFC for a couple of years, but he's been, he's been pretty active. Now, he's two and two in the UFC, so not super great, but um, he had that uh, very quick round two ankle lock over Michael Johnson um, back in May. And putting him up against Jalen Turner, I don't know, that kind of seems like a step down for Moises. I mean, to go from Johnson to Turner off of a win, I don't know if that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, Jalen Turner, I mean, this it'll be an awkward test for him because Turner, I think, is six foot three. Yeah, six foot three at one fifty-five. Uh, he's also twenty-five, so maybe still trying to figure it out here. Listen, I don't really know what to make of Jalen Turner. Kind of a, for lack of a better term, a freak show fighter with his stature. Um, I I don't think that's gonna work out for him. I don't think that really ever works out for anybody to to be you know extremely extremely tall for a division. Um, you I I forget the study, but you look at the numbers statistically. Height really doesn't have that much of an impact on a fight. Uh, reach does. Reach does, uh, but height, not really. I know that might be kind of trivial because, uh, you know, one would assume that if you have higher, uh, higher height, you're probably going to have a longer reach as well, but obviously not always the case. Um, but it, it's tough to know what to make of, of Turner. Uh, you know, he gets knocked out uh, on the, the pay-per-view card between Khabib and McGregor by Luke. That's, I mean, that's a really fucking tough fight in fairness. Uh, but comes back, knocks out Callan Potter, a loss to Frivola, a win over uh, the debuting Joshua Kuliabau, um in February. So he's also kind of flip-flopping wins and losses. Um, but again, more of a more of a long-term thing for Turner, not necessarily something that's gonna you know be impactful in this fight. But to be six foot three, Jalen Turner should be at a bare minimum a welterweight. I mean, I don't know, man. Like, didn't work out for James Vick. It just really doesn't work out. It's not going to work out for Luis Pena. It's not going to work out for any of these guys. Like, that's just... There's there's being naturally skinny and just kind of, like, depleting yourself. And I have a hard time to... I have a hard time believing that you're naturally, you know, something... Obviously, there's still weight cutting, so he's not walking around in his everyday life at 6'3", 155. But, you know... To get down there and and try to fight, I don't know. It's, I don't, I don't, I don't really like it. Um, Moises, I want to say Moises was also the guy who was pretty heavy in uh, competing in in those ADCC grappling tournaments. Um, so a very good ground game, and obviously that's you know part of the reason why he beat Michael Johnson with an ankle lock in his last fight. So um, in my mind, um, this is very good money on Moises. I'm gonna go Moises. Um, I don't know. We'll go. Actually, we'll go round one's uh, submission for Moises. I just uh, his ground game. His ground game is probably going to be a lot better than Jalen Turner. Um, I think this is a step down, um, and I don't know. Not really that high on Jalen Turner to begin with. Uh, moving on here uh, on the main card, we have Brian Kelleher taking on Kevin Natividad uh, here in the featherweight division. Kelleher coming in with a record of 21 and 11. 
Natividad uh, coming out of the record at 9-1. and one. Looking at the odds here, Kelleher is the minus 230 favorite. Uh, late replacement for Kelleher as he was supposed to take on Ricky Simone, which would have been actually much more interesting. Um, don't know a whole lot about old Kevin over here. I know that Simone is also uh, a bantamweight, so it would have been two bantamweights fighting up at 145, which we've seen pretty pretty often. I mean, Cody Stamen's fought a couple of times at 145, which honestly I think is probably uh, his natural weight class and, and, and the weight class he should be fighting at um, anyway. Um, so no no secret here. I mean, a late-notice fighter against a uh, UFC veteran. Uh, I'm going with Brian Kelleher um, in this one. I think he probably gets a finish, but I'll reserve my official prediction for the finish um, un- until later on, until the main card showdown, when it's necessary that I give my prediction. Um, but, but Kelleher, I don't know, he kind of had a career resurgence over the last year. I know he had the loss to Cody Stamen, the aforementioned Cody Stamen. Um, but two quick finishes over Ode Osborne and Hunter Azure, who's also on the card here. Um, but, but those are guys who are making their UFC debut. Those are prospects. Uh, they're wins and they're impressive wins, but they're not against, you know, name, name recognition guys. Um, but Kelleher is dangerous. He's dangerous. He's, he's pretty powerful for 135. So I got to figure that, you know, the, the power is going to translate just a little bit better at 145, putting on, you know, more muscle mass. Um, but listen, this is a guy outside of the loss to Montel Jackson, which is kind of bad. Um, a loss to Stamen, Lineker, and Marlon Vera. You look at everybody else, I, I mean I mean this in a good way. I don't mean this in the bad way because his career is not over and he still can define his career. I... I Believe me, I mean this in a good way. But when Brian Kelleher goes up against like young guys, when he goes up against guys who are new to the UFC or don't belong in the UFC, he's going to win that fight almost every time. You know what I mean? Which is what he should do. Which is what he should do because he's, you know, a guy who's... He was knocking on the on the, on the the uh, the doorstep of being ranked before that last loss to Stamen. Obviously, if he would have beat Stamen, he would have been ranked at 135 which is a very tough division to be ranked in. So, I mean, when I look at guys who don't belong in the UFC or guys who are new to the or guys who are new to the UFC, so two very distinct things, but both guys at the both guys are at the lower level of of UFC competition. He has wins over Azure, Osborne, Henan Brow at the end of his career, doesn't belong in the UFC, Damian Stashik, uh, Ayuri Alcantara, Julio, Julio Arce, uh, you know, guys like this, uh, and, and he'll beat them. He'll beat them. So uh, I feel pretty confident in, in the fact that he's going to beat Kevin uh, Natividad, um, even though that's a guy I've never heard of. I mean, maybe, maybe that guy's the next fucking Conor McGregor, but I've I've never heard of him. And you look at the track record for Kelleher, I mean, he's, he's going to win this fight almost every time. Um, a little, a little, um, yeah, I don't even have a whole lot to say about, about old Kevin over here. Um, he's, he's 27. Uh, he's from Hawaii, so, I mean, that's going to play in his favor. I mean, Hawaiian fighters are pretty fucking tough. Um, and there's... I'd love to know the numbers on Hawaiian fighters in the UFC. Because, I don't know, I feel like Hawaiians are, are probably disproportionately represented in the UFC. And, and rightfully so, because they are... Uh, they're a different type of people, you know what I mean? They're they're weathered people, you know what I mean? They... they uh, 
I, I don't know. You know, that's probably an interesting thing to to. Actually, I could do research after this. I'm sure that's probably something that somebody's thought of before. But I wonder why there's so many good Hawaiian fighters from Hawaii. Or Jesus Christ, obviously, obviously that's redundant. But you know why Hawaii produces so many produces so many good fighters. Uh, there's got to be a reason for it. I mean, like. It can't just be a coincidence that BJ Penn and Max Holloway and, uh, you know, Brad Tavares and, uh, uh, fuck, who's the, Dan Ige. Like, it can't just be a coincidence that all these guys come from Hawaii. There has to be, like, some cultural thing down there. Like, maybe maybe they just fight more as middle schoolers or something. I don't know. That'd be a really interesting thing for a journalist to, to do a deep dive on that. Um, but either way, getting off track a little bit here, we're, we're going to go with Brian Kelleher. Uh, to win this one. Uh, moving on here in the featured bout, it's a welterweight fight here between Michelle Pareda uh, and Zalim Imadeev. Pareda is the 23, excuse me, he's 23 and 11. Uh, Imadeev is 8 and 2. Uh, we, we look at the odds here. Um, it's a pick'em. It is a pick'em, according to Bovada. Both are the minus 115 favorite. I'm going to tell you right now, this is not a pick'em in my mind. This is not even close to a pick'em in my mind. I am going with, uh, oh, what the fuck's his nickname? He's got a cool nickname. Uh, Demolidor. I don't speak Portuguese or Spanish, but uh, that's, a cool, that's a cool nickname. We're going with Michelle Pajeda on this one. Uh, I know he's on a two-fight losing streak, which you know doesn't sound good. Uh, and that loss to Tristan Connolly in September of last year was really fucking bad. Really bad. Like, that was a really bad loss. Um, like, you got beat by a 16-3... and three, or No, a 3 and... Jesus fucking Christ, I need more coffee. Uh, you lost to a 13-6 and six debuting fighter in Tristan Connolly. That's pretty fucking bad. Um, but the Diego Sanchez fight... I mean, if Diego Sanchez... Fanch- Diego Sanchez was a true fighter. He he wouldn't have, have stopped the fight like that. Um, was it an illegal knee? I guess. I don't, know. I don't know. I guess. Not really. Didn't really land that hard. But whatever. He was beating the, the piss out of Diego Sanchez. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, yeah, he's on a two-fight losing streak. But, you know, that was a good performance. Um, Imadayev. Don't know a whole lot about uh, old young, young buck over here. But um, he is Russian. So, that's, you know, scary. Uh, but he is on a two-fight losing streak. Uh, he's 0-2 in the UFC, lost to uh, Max Griffin, and lost to Danny Roberts. Uh, got knocked out by Danny Roberts. And, you know, if we're using MMA math here, uh, Michelle Pajeda, uh has a highlight reel knockout of Danny Roberts. So, you know, that's uh, that's interesting. Although MMA math is uh, notorious for being um, absolutely fucking incorrect most of the time. Uh, just because there's so many variables, but, you know, that's an interesting thing to consider, um, but I'm gonna go with, uh, Pajeda on this one, he's, I don't think anybody could doubt that he's the more talented fighter, um, it's just about him putting it together, like, seriously, like, I'm not even trying to be hyperbolic here, Michelle Pajeda has everything it takes to be, fuck it, I'll even say, he has everything it takes to be a champion in the UFC, like, He's strong as fuck. He's young as fuck. He's everything as fuck. You know what I mean? Like, he's he's supremely talented. His striking is amazing. He's flashy. Uh, you know what I mean? There's a reason why he was the co-main event in his last fight. There's a reason why he's on 
on the featured bout and was scheduled to be the co-main event for the longest time for this fight card. Fans are, are drawn towards Michelle Pajeda. It's just about him not being a fucking idiot and, you know, gassing and doing... Like, I'm not even saying don't be flashy. You could be super flashy. You can do all this stuff. And it's... it's I don't know. It's kind of... It's kind of sitting the line on the fence here. But, like, okay, so... This, this kind of goes without saying, but, like, Michelle Pajeda, Michelle Pajeda's flashiness isn't a problem unless it's a problem. Now, I know that's just restating the fucking, you know, the, the issue, but, like, okay, so, Michelle Pajeda, if he does seven backflips in the octagon and still gets a knockout victory, well, then the, the backflips are not a talking point. The, the backflips and, and the extracurricular activity are only a talking point when he loses. So, I'm not saying don't be flashy. I'm just saying win your fucking fights. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you acting like a clown is only acting like a clown if you lose. And he has everything it takes to win. I would, honestly, might sound crazy, but I think Pajeda uh, has great cardio. I think he actually does have good cardio, just... It seems like he has bad cardio because he does all this crazy shit. I think if he if he toned down the craziness just a little bit, I think he you know I, I think he probably beats Tristan Connolly. I think even if he rematches with Tristan Connolly, I think he beats him. Uh, I mean, he already beat Diego Sanchez in my mind, but you know what I mean. Whatever illegal knee, uh, whatever. But um, I don't know. I I'm looking for a, a flashy highlight knockout in this one. And here's the thing. So he fights at Scorpio, Scorpion Fighting System. I don't know what the fuck that is. I don't know what the Scorpion Fighting... You know what? Let's click on that. What is a Scorpion Fighting System? Uh, it's in Brighton, Michigan. Okay, interesting. Never heard of it. James Gray is the head coach. Uh, oh, Amanda Bobby Cooper is an MMA coach there. That's not going to bode well for Michelle Pajeda. So, interesting. Um... I will say this with probably most fighters, but specifically when it comes to talented fighters who need help pulling it all together, um, move to TriStar. Move to TriStar. Now, it didn't work out in their first fight for Kevin Lee and Johnny Walker. Excuse me. It didn't work out in their first fight, but I think in the long run, those are going to be excellent moves for Kevin Lee and Johnny Walker. Michelle Pajeda seems like the perfect guy to get to Faraz Sahabi, like a guy who's an amazing, legendary MMA coach, a guy who is a smart guy, uh, you know, a, a philosopher, excuse me, um, a guy who's really going to make you work on your fundamentals, um, I don't know, I'd love to see him move to like an actual camp, no disrespect to Scorpion fighting system, but I don't know of anybody they've ever produced. But maybe it's maybe it's a startup, so you know, if, you know, I don't want to be a dick. Try not to seem like a dick. I, you know, they they do have a couple of fighters in the UFC, so you know, we'll we'll see what they can do. All, all my best wishes are are to the Scorpion fighting system. But um, I don't know, man. I don't know. Uh, it again, for the sake of the for the sake of the pick here, I'm going my I'm going Michelle Pajeda, and I'm and I'm probably gonna go by knockout. Um, but I, I'm just so excited about this guy if he can just kind of pull it together. That, that's that's really the big thing. 
All right, moving on here now to the co-main event of the evening. It's a light heavyweight bout here between Ovens St. Prue and Alonzo Menefield. St. Prue is 24 and 14. Menefield is 9 and 1. Uh, we look at the Bovada odds here. They have Menefield as the minus 140 favorite. Uh, this one is going to be interesting. I can tell you this much because I've already previewed this fight for uh, a few weeks a few weeks back, a couple of weeks back. Um, obviously, Menefield had to pull out because he tested positive for the COVID. Um, but we've already done a preview on this one, so this one should be relatively easy. Um, Ovin St. Preux in his last fight, he uh, had a loss at heavyweight to Ben Rothwell. Um, even though he lost, and I do agree that he lost, um, I I liked his performance at heavyweight. I think I would like to see him back up at heavyweight. Um, that's going to be an interesting problem um, because he's going to come in at about 240, so he's not going to come in too heavy. He's still going to have the speed, um, I think, uh, towards the end of his career, which is certainly where he's getting to at this point. Um, I, I think that's probably the right move. Coming back down to light heavyweight, I don't know. This is fucking tough, man. I mean, let's not forget, Ovin St. Preux once fought for an interim uh, light heavyweight title before. Um, he has a lot of wins, a surprising amount of wins in the UFC. Um, you know, but he, he just kind of flip-flops wins and losses. And, and a lot of times there's not really, um, a whole lot you can gleam from Ovin's St. Preux. Like, oh, why did he win this one? Why did he lose that one? <sighs> Fuck if I know, man. Like, it, it, it's tough. Like, the biggest thing, and you could say this for most fighters, is, well, he loses to guys who are better than him. You know what I mean? Like uh, a loss to Dominic Reyes, a loss to Volkan who fought for a title, a loss to Manawa who was, you know, a knockout fucking king in this division for a few years, a loss to Glover who fought for a title, a loss to John Jones, the GOAT. So outside of the obvious, well, he, he loses to guys who he's worse than and he beats guys who he's better than. I don't know, man, but he's perpetually dangerous. That's something that is true. He has a lot of finishes. Ovin St. Preux doesn't often, in victory, go to decisions. Um, you know, a, a choke of Olajacek, uh, a choke of Pedro, a brutal, absolutely brutal highlight uh, head kick knockout of Corey Anderson, a choke of Yushin Okami, a choke of Hajerio DeLima, who's also on the card here. Um, I mean, geez, the last time he won a fight by decision was back in February of 2016 over Rafael Cavalcante. So, uh, this, this guy is a finisher. So, um, I am going to go... Fuck, this is so tough. Because the last time this fight came up, I went with um, OSP. But, I, I don't know, man. I'm so intrigued by knockout artists, and that that's really what Menafield is. This is a guy... We saw in his last fight... Uh, not not a good performance against Devin Clark. This was three months ago, um, nearly to the date of, of this, this fight on Saturday. Uh, he lost to Devin Clark. That was bad. He had him beaten really bad. He had him battered in the first round and just completely gassed out, which is not really a surprise because you look at his uh, eight fights, or excuse me, his nine fights before that. They're all first-round TKOs or KOs. Uh, including a 22-second win, an 8-second win. Uh, this is a guy who knocks people out in the first round, or, as we saw in his one loss, 
doesn't do so hot when it goes past the five minute mark. Um, so th- this is interesting, man, because I'd say it's it's fifty fifty. It's a fifty percent chance that Menafield just brutally knocks out OSP in the first round, and it's a fifty percent chance that OSP just survives the first and goes out there and uh, I don't want to say drags him in into deep water, but you know just kind of weathers the storm and 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 probably beats him. So I'm gonna go with OSP by round three submission, um, because I I I don't know, man. Like it's tough because you're talking about potential here with Menafield. Um, so he's knocked out like Paul Craig and Vinicius Mojeda. Okay, I mean you know there's a difference between those fighters and an OSP. OSP has had a lot of high level competition. OSP's never really had a pattern of getting starched, you know what I mean? So, I mean, it, it is possible he gets he gets caught, but OSP, he's he's pretty solid defensively. He's going to have, um, uh, you know, the height advantage of three inches. I think he's going to have a reach advantage of maybe like five inches. OSP's reach is crazy. It's 80 inches. Um, so, I just think OSP's been there before. He's done that. Um He's certainly going to have the experience advantage, and I think that's going to play into his factor when it comes to you know weathering a first round storm. Um, and I just think he tires him out. Um, and it's it's honestly, I mean, it's when it comes to a finish for OSP, which I think is what's going to happen. It's kind of equally as likely that it'll be a knockout or a submission because you know maybe Menafield gets tired and then you know well bam he gets hit with the uh, you know the vintage Corey Anderson head kick. Or, you know, Devin Clark was taking him down. So, OSP takes him down and, you know, another another Von, Von Flu choke, Von Pru choke uh, on the record of OSP. So, uh, we'll go OSP by third round submission on this one. So, this leads us here to the main event of the evening. It's a heavyweight bout here between Alistair Overeem and Augusto Sakai. Overeem coming in with a record of 46 and 18, Sakai with a record of 15, 1 and 1. We look at the Bovada odds, they have Overeem as the minus 165 favorite, and this is as good of a time as ever to say that Alistair Overeem is the mailman's lock of the week. It's time now for the mailman's lock of the week. So there you have it. Alistair Overeem is the mailman's lock of the week. Um, it's interesting because Overeem, obviously, getting up there in age, he's made it um, you know, publicly known that uh, he's got one last run in him. Now, I don't think he's going to get to the title, but I certainly think at age 40, Alistair Overeem still has enough to beat Augusto Sakai. Uh, I don't think Sakai is that good at all. So... Obviously, I'm going to go through all the cliched, uh, you know, titles here for Overeem. Obviously, he was a Strikeforce heavyweight champion, Green uh, Dream heavyweight champion, K1 Grand, P- Grand Prix heavyweight champion. He's he's been a, he's won everything except for uh, a UFC heavyweight championship. Um, a notably different fighter since I guess 2016. Maybe it was a little before that, uh, to be honest, but. 
in my mind, since since 2016, a noticeably different fighter. Um, you know, and he's had, he's had many stages in his career. So he had the skinny uh, start to his career over in Pride, you know, where I th- think he might have fought at middleweight. Or I guess middleweight in Pride was 205, uh, you know, but was lighter. Uh, then, you know, transitions into Uberim, you know, taking eating all the horse meat and taking all the fucking steroids on planet Earth. Um, you know, and then comes to the UFC, has a ton of hype, obviously gets the knockout of uh, Brock Lesnar. Uh, and then kind of starts a... I mean, this is a guy who has probably been knocked out 15 or 16 times in his career in, in MMA and I think kickboxing as well. Uh, this is a guy who doesn't really have a super awesome chin at this point, nor really kind of ever, to be honest. Um, a guy who, if he loses, a lot of times it's it's going to be a knockout uh, loss. And kind of started a, a trend of just getting knocked out in bad ways after that Brock win. Uh, famously overlooked Bigfoot Silva, you know, said he was going to do this and do that. Uh, gets knocked out and then stood, stood over uh, by Bigfoot Silva comes back, uh, gets knocked out with that front kick from Travis Brown, uh, rebounds with a win over Frank Mir, then gets knocked out by Ben Rothwell, and then goes on a streak, a four-fight winning streak, fights Miocic for the title, and, and you know, he, he loses there, although some people to this day contend that Stipe tapped. Uh, Alistair clearly felt a tap. Um, I, don't, I don't know if the fucking replay would verify that, but, uh, you know, that's, that's some subject of debate. Uh, and then, and then, so we kind of got, I mean, when he fought Miocic, he wasn't Uberim, you know what I mean? You know, that was a few years before. Um, but now it's economical Overeem. Now it's the Overeem that will run away. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, you know, like, uh, you know, running around, circling around. I mean, at heavyweight, they're big boys. I mean, you you don't want to be a fucking idiot and just stand there in the pocket and just get, you know, peppered with shotgun blasts. Um... But I, I like this economical Overeem. I, I, I really do. Um, obviously, after the, the loss to Miocic, you know, got blown up, sent into orbit from Francis Ngannou, knocked out by uh, Curtis Blades. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, he, he, he's been in uh, you know, mostly main events ever ever since then. Got his lip blown up by uh, Rosenstrike, came back and, and uh, you know, finished Walt Harris on the ground. Um, so I don't think Overeem can contend with uh, the highest level guys in the sport, but Augusto Sakai is absolutely not at the highest level of this sport. Augusto Sakai is the bubble is about to get burst. Let me put it that way. So 15 one and one. I don't care about the record because he's fought nobodies. So I, I'm not impressed by a, a shiny record. Uh, so. This is a guy who comes on to the Contender Series. He fights Marcos Conrado Jr. I actually rewatched that because I think it was a free fight on uh, their UFC page. Yeah, not really a good fight. Uh, Conrado Jr. is basically... Conrado Jr. is a middleweight. So he fought that fight, I think, at 215 pounds. Dude, that's what Michael Bisping cuts down from when, when he fights at middleweight. So you're 10 pounds over light heavyweight nine pounds over light heavyweight. If you took a piss, you'd be a light heavyweight. If you did a average weight cut, you'd be a middleweight. And Augusto Sakai comes in at the limit 
I wasn't very impressed by that performance, but okay. Comes to the UFC, knocks out Chase Sherman in the third round. Chase Sherman is one of the worst fighters I've ever seen. Not very impressed. Um, wins a split decision over Andre Arlovsky uh, in April of 2019. Let me consult uh, my favorite website. Uh, well, outside of Tapology, on, honestly, um, Tapology is my favorite, but uh, MMA decisions, because I, I remember Sakai having some fuckery in his time in the UFC. I couldn't remember if it was the Ivanov fight or the Arlovsky fight. Um, let's let's look at the MMA decisions here for um, Sakai and Arlovsky. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. There's twelve media members. Eleven of them scored it for Arlovsky, and only one of them scored it a draw for, well, I guess for neither fighter, it's just a draw. Nobody, nobody thought Augusto Sakai won that fight. Nobody. Even even MMABrazil.com had it 29-28 for Arlovsky. You know, and fair play to them, because I, I guess that shows to me that they're objective, but you know what I mean? Even your home country's fucking you know, home media scored it for Arlovsky. Like, so this is a guy who is, oh, he's undefeated in the UFC. Yeah, not really. Not really. He's really not. Um, comes back five months later, knocks out Marcin Tabora. Okay, that's a nice win. Not a win that puts you into the rankings, but that's a nice win. Uh, you know, Tabura, I mean, he's a guy who's been on UFC main events before. Not a particularly great uh, fighter, but... You know, fair enough. He beat a veteran, and then he goes he goes on to uh, get a split decision win over Blagoy Ivanov. Uh, let me go back to MMA decisions here because I think there was also some uh, controversy about this one. So I remember watching this fight. I thought Ivanov won the fight. Now you look at the MMA decisions. Most of the people say Sakai won the fight. Um, but, but a handful said that Ivanov won the fight. It was 29-28, so it was kind of back and forth. Um, I disagree. It was a close fight, but I, I would say that um, Ivanov won that fight. Ivanov's fighting style is not really conducive to you thinking that he won close fights. Like, he doesn't do anything very flashy. Like, his, he gets hit a little bit, you know what I mean? But uh, I'm, I'm thoroughly, thoroughly unimpressed with Augusto Sakai. Now, I think we do have him ranked at heavyweight. Uh, he is number nine. Listen, the only reason why he's number nine is we respect the UFC's... Or actually, I guess the commission. We respect the commission's wins and losses. So, the only reason why Augusto Sakai is number nine is because even though I would die on the dagger that Arlovsky beat Sakai... If the commission says Sakai beat him, we're going to respect it. And you know what I mean? So, but, but believe me, like I said, the bubble's going to be burst. So he, you know, he's sitting here at number nine. He's not going to be sitting at number nine after this one. He's, he's going to lose. But if, but if somehow he wins this fight, which I really don't think he's going to win this one, uh, cause he's, he's pretty slow and flat footed. And I, I don't even really think he punches too particularly hard for a heavyweight. Um, Overeem's sitting there at number five, so, you know, if, if he wins, you know, he'll be in the top five. He'll definitely be the youngest motherfucker in that top five. Um, and, you know, you know 
that Sakai is going to, you know, be fast-tracked for the title just because he's young. Uh, you know, being Brazilian helps a little bit because, you know, it's been a hot minute since we've had a Brazilian heavyweight champion. And um, really, a lot of the Brazilian legends are dying off at this point, so they're kind of looking for the next breed here. But again, I, I see, at least for now, I'm not saying forever. I'm not saying forever, but at least for now, I see phony when I see Augusto Sakai. I, I see a guy who, um, looking at his record, um, he's lost two of his last three because I disagree with the Ivanov and I disagree with the Arlovsky decision. Even if you think he won those fights, they're still split decisions. So it's not like, oh, wow, he he's running away with the fights that he's been in. Not really. He has yet to have an impressive victory in the UFC in my mind. Maybe he gets it on Saturday, but I'd say probably not because uh, I heard that the mailman made this the lock of the week and we, re- we respect the mailman's lock of the week. So we're going to go Alistair Overeem. Honestly, I have a tough time picking a method here. I don't, even though Sakai's not that good, I have a tough time believing economical Overeem's going to knock him out in the first round or two. It might just kind of be a boring decision, a 25-minute decision. Honestly, I, I think what's what we're more likely to see here is... Overeem versus Jairzinho, but we don't have the 10-second knockout at the end from Jairzinho. You know, that it, it it's going to be like we're going to watch that fight again on Saturday night, except, you know, Overeem just, you know, <laughs> still has good defense for the, the, the waning seconds of the fight. So I think we're probably looking at a boring 25-minute um, economical defensive decision for Overeem. Um, but again, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if Overeem got the finish in, in the slightest, but I just have a tough time trying to pinpoint, you know, well, would it be the third or the fourth or the fifth? I think it's probably just easier to say Overeem by decision. Uh, so with that, let's see what we're doing for time here. Uh, ah, we are well over our average here, but um, yeah, that's pretty much all I had to get to. Hopefully we either uh, later today or uh, Saturday we can get the main card showdown um, in podcast form. Um, but if not, well, it'll certainly go on um, in, in, you know, in Twitter form. So with that, we'll wrap it up here. I'm Owen Ely. You can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. You can follow North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star M-I-N. Uh, the Mailman at Owen The Mailman. Um, and you got to check out our website at NorthStarSports.media. We have new rankings, new rankings just minutes after uh, UFC events end. So, I mean, you know, you come back, you check North Star Sports, you know, an hour after uh, Overeem beats Sakai, we're going to have brand new fucking rankings, brand new rankings before anybody, because we don't need, we don't need to sit and wait and, and, and ponder, oh, well, should, should Overeem go from five to four or from, from five to three? I don't know. We just figure it out the fucking night of, figure it out the night of, and don't think twice about it. Uh, so with that. We'll wrap it up here. Thanks for tuning in, everybody.